Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Welcome to the Spin This Podcast, a podcast where we talk about music and, and everything that's spinning around in the music world. I am registered SoCan user Sam Dow, and this is uh, this is just regular old Aiden. Thanks for doing my introduction on my behalf. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. <laughs> I know that you have trouble doing some things uh on occasion i know you're having trouble with the whole socan application thing so i I thought i'd give you a hand on this part i'm not having trouble socan i'm having trouble with printers okay there's a big difference there well (laughs) you have nothing you have nothing to say because you know that i'm right (laughs) (laughs) all i know is i am now an official member of the socan regime yeah yeah and i uh, my the music that regime. I've registered is pending pending status, and eventually <laughs> they will say, you know what, you, you did write that music, and you're, in theory, entitled to things for people listening to it. All 45 people that listen to that song, you're going to get the big, the, the big royalties coming in. You know what's funny? My mom came by earlier today, and I actually forgot to tell her to put the SoCan for her. <laughs> oh, fuck. You should ask her, and then next time she's over, she'll just do it. Yeah, she, no, no, she will. I'm like, you know, I, she's not going to say, like, uh, no, I don't think so. No, no, the, the fact is that another week is going to go past where I'm uh, I'm not part of the SOCAN regime, as you so put it. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's a pretty sweet life being part of this SOCAN. It, it's because they support creators like me and you, well, like me, just so that you know, I'm fairly compensated for my work and they just want to do the right thing. So I also do the right thing. And also I do the thing. You know what? I'm fine. I'm I'm financially comfortable with the the money, the hundreds of dollars I've made off of music. <laughs> <laughs> the hundreds of thousands of cents that I've made off of music. This just really highlights the difference between professional musicians like myself and, you know, regular common folk that aren't registered for SOCAN. Are you gone? I'm here. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) You're just processing. I was just staring into my soul for a minute and just uh, reevaluating everything. I think I'll just go back to being an administrative assistant full time and, uh, actually funny enough, that was, it's much more of a lucrative career than being a musician. I'll tell you that. And I, I earn a lot more than I would on SoCan, so. Well, I'll be earning royalties, and so can you. Oh, actually, that's pretty clever. Thank you. Promoting SoCan and also profiting from SoCan. Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, can I tell you a story? Go for it. Okay. So this is another random-ass story that I'm just inserting in the most inappropriate place. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, so what happened was uh, I went out for another walk the other day and I was in the park I was just walking around in the park closest to my apartment and uh, it was in the early summer it was really hot outside it was like in the early stages of this heat wave that we've been having here in Ottawa Um, well actually it's not so hot right now but anyway that's immaterial what happened was is that I was walking along and suddenly I I, this bumblebee comes up right and uh, normally it's fine bumblebee will just mind their own business it kind of orbited around me for a little while, and uh, I swatted at it, and I think that really pissed it off because it, you know, continued to just stay around my proximity. And then I was like, oh, shit. So I just started to walk faster. It matched my speed exactly and then continued to orbit around me, and I was like, fuck, I'm not getting stung today. So I just started to run. I booked it. And then, so... I was running. I think I successfully <laughs> outran it because I, I didn't see it anymore past that point. But there were other people in the park. I was not dressed in proper running attire, but I just kept running as if I was purposefully running, as if I was out for a run. 
you were pretending you were just a jogger so yes. that you wouldn't be embarrassed? Yes. Well, I mean, they would have no idea why I just randomly uh, started spazzing out and then just started running. That's that's what I just decided that I would just keep up the facade and continue running. And that's how you started your career as an Olympic level runner. Yeah. Well, I mean, add that to my accolades of uh, all the Grammy Awards that I've won. And I didn't even need SoCan. Not yet. Not yet, but but I'm sure uh, that will uh, give me a few more hundreds of dollars to help me out. Mm-hmm. There are dozens of us. Dozens! So, I wanted to talk. Obviously, right now, we are broadcasting amidst, uh, I guess you could say global turmoil. Well, not, not turmoil necessarily, but... Uh, global riots and protests and all that stuff. In fact, you were at a protest yesterday, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, I went to the local chapter of the Black Lives Matter protest in London, Ontario. I would go to that, but it's downtown and I'm, you know, I'm not going to, I couldn't be arsed to go all the way downtown. And you're not in London, Ontario yeah. in this particular circumstance. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not going to go to downtown London from Ottawa. Uh, well, I think a couple days ago, there was one in Ottawa because I saw our boy JT, Justin Trudeau, I saw him kneeling in a protest. No, so there, that means that there was one in Ottawa and you could have been there. There was a protest, but I, I did not go. I was too paranoid of coronavirus. And going all the way downtown from where I am is not... Uh, getting there and getting back is three hours. So fuck that. Sorry, racial justice, but you'll have to wait for another day. You'll have to wait until uh, you have moved into a location more suitable <laughs> to your convenience. Yeah, exactly. So what exactly transpired at this event? It was mostly uh, pretty much everyone gathering in the Victoria Park area. And then there was some, some speakers that spoke about the Black Lives Matter movement and the importance of it. There was a lot of people, I think, in the news articles, or there may have been like 10,000 people at the event. I wasn't particularly close to the staging area, so I, I didn't hear uh, all the speeches perfectly clearly, some better than others, but participated in the chants and solidarity, kneeling and fist in the air kind of stuff. And then there was a march around the downtown area. And then I didn't participate in the full march, mainly because I found it more difficult to maintain social distancing at a certain point. In addition to claustrophobia, the combination of claustrophobia and the pandemic, I wasn't going to participate in the full version of the march. But I was glad I was there for the parts that I was there for. Oh, yeah. Good for you, man. So actually, that kind of reminded me. The other day, because of the whole Black Lives Matter movement against uh, police brutality in this particular instance. I was kind of thinking about in in times like this of uh, social unrest, this actually sometimes gives rise to good music or, or just good art in general. I was kind of thinking about what are some good examples throughout history. And it's funny thing is that I didn't really have to think of an example throughout history because today I was browsing around and apparently there was a new song by rapper Denzel Curry. Well, actually, it's Denzel Curry and Terrence Martin. It's a collaborative uh, song. And uh, I was like, oh, okay. So it's uh, it's obviously themed about the George Floyd protest. And I listened mm-hmm. to it, and it actually, this is such a good fucking song. Just divorced even from the social context of the song, the song actually goes. And it actually features uh, Kamasi Washington as well, who is the saxophonist who plays on that album. Yeah, I like that guy. Um, have you listened to any Kamasi Washington outside of uh, just properly, like an album or a song? What well, his album is the Epic, right? Yeah, yep. I've I've listened to that one. That one, uh, I believe you recommended that album to me in the past because it was uh, in my ongoing life journey for the Supreme Chaos. That would be a worthy successor to Black Saint and Sinner Lady by Charles Mingus. That was a, an album that I'd heard of. As it has chaotic elements to it. And then I think you were the one that, that properly told me I should listen to that album. Yeah, that was a good album. I'm not sure if I've listened to it from start to finish in its entirety ever, just because it's so long. But uh, I love the rendition that he does of Claire de Lune on that album. But mm-hmm. anyway, going back to this particular song, the Pig Feet, it's called. Obviously, yeah. uh, colloquialism for cops. 
It came out on June 1st, which was actually like just after the controversy surrounding uh, George Floyd began and the protest had started to acquire a little more uh, heat. Uh, and uh, I listened to it and I, there's, there's a certain level of, uh, I want to say, almost like a classic hip hop vibe going on. There's a jazzy or hip hop vibe, obviously, with uh, Kamasi Washington. Also, the percussion is, is very uh, jazzy as well. I think it's probably actual percussion, like actual drums played, uh, as opposed to a sampled kit or, or like a drum machine or something of the sort. But uh, yeah, anyway, uh, I love uh, Denzel Curry's... Uh, actually, Denzel Curry, I'm not sure who the other guy who raps on it. I'm not, it's not Terrence Martin, it's the other guy. The other guy who raps is Daylight. There's a little pause before he uh, begins his verse. And uh, I had been, I'm a little bit familiar with Denzel Curry prior to listening to this particular single, mostly through his uh, albums that he had done, like Imperial. I haven't really listened to much other stuff that he did. And obviously he has that one meme song. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. Ultimate. Ultimate is what's called. Hmm. So he's a good, a very good like hip hop artist, and I would probably continue to monitor his output. Anyway, like both, uh, like the wordplay on this particular song is just like really good. But anyway, do you have any good example of? I mean, in your own opinion, of like songs about you know social or political unrest that you kind of dig? Because uh, I mean, I have a few of them that I really like throughout history. Um. Yeah, I do. Uh, specifically in the last few years. One of the ones that comes to mind is Childish Gambino, This Is America. Yeah, I was actually just thinking about that earlier. And I wasn't, like, I, I knew who uh, Donald Glover was from Community and other things. Uh, and I knew of his song, is it Redbone, that came out a couple years before that? Yeah, yeah, Redbone. That was on the radio. I didn't realize really what his music was like. I almost was had more of an impression that he was maybe more of a a, a memer, for lack of a better term, because I knew know that his background is more in comedy and things like that. I wasn't really aware of what his music, what context his music would exist in, and that was probably the first song that I'd really listened to properly of his, uh, and obviously with the music video as well. And that is a very good song that. I think, especially now, I would be curious if we see that song in particular have a, a bigger resurgence because of the current situation with everything going on globally, but specifically in the States as well. Yeah, uh, I, I remember when that song came out, it was very controversial, Like especially the music video. There's a lot of uh, you know, imagery about... Uh, I mean, I, I think... Um, Whereas a lot of these more recent singles are about uh, are specifically about police violence, I think that one's just about racism in general because it it inv- invokes imagery of the KKK and shit. So I think I think it's probably just about uh, the United States more racist past and stuff like that, which is, which is a lot really interesting. And uh, funny enough, I think actually Ludwig Göransson co-produced that that song. That is funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> oh, Ludwig Göransson. You know, he's the guy who uh, did the score for Mandalorian. And uh, okay, yeah, yeah. And, I like that guy's uh, score of the Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah. And he, I, I think he worked on a few other of uh, Childish Gambino's records as well. And then he also scored uh, Black Panther as well. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I dig him as a composer and as a producer as well. My favorite of all time protest songs is Neil Young's Ohio. Well, actually it's Neil Young who wrote it, but it's Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Like yeah. it's, it's their, uh, it's one of their songs. And that was about the, uh, the Kent state shootings, uh, which was a protest against the Vietnam war. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I actually, I didn't know about that song and, and until uh, somebody had showed, showed it to me in uh, music industry arts. Actually. Yeah. I, I dig that song. Uh, there's, a, I mean, a lot of other examples like, uh, Killer Mike recently came out with a song called Reagan. It was came out in maybe 2016, 2017. It's about Ronald Reagan, obviously. Mm-hmm. Obviously, but uh, the thing about like political music is that do you think that um, you know times of political unrest create better music? I would say yeah, in, in a lot of situations, in a lot of circumstances, it definitely makes me think of the 1960s Vietnam 
protests, hippie movements and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, A couple months ago, I watched a documentary about Woodstock, obviously the music festival Woodstock, not to be confused with any town named Woodstock or the bird from Snoopy. (laughs) Or Woodstock, Uh, Ontario, the the halfway point between London and everywhere else. Yeah. (laughs) They they provide a lot of, of the political and societal context around the music scene in general of those days Uh, i remember they talked about a lot of the sort of hippie free love movement stuff was established essentially as direct opposition to everything going on with the escalation of the situation in vietnam and obviously a lot of music was incredibly significant in that a lot of the bands that i grew up listening to our bands from that era, uh, I've got a list of a few of them. The Guess Who is probably one of the bigger ones that I think of. They've got a few songs specifically about, one of them is called No Time, which is a very anti-Vietnam song. Uh, I know Creedence Clearwater Revival, Fortunate oh, yeah. Son, is probably one of the most famous songs associated with uh, Vietnam. Every film that... Uh... <laughs> yeah, every <laughs> every film uh, features that song in re- in relation to Vietnam. The cut to a scene where the helicopters are coming down. And yeah, he's like, and and then it's like Vietnam the the song. Yeah, another one. All along the Watchtower, which is by Bob Dylan, but the Hendrix version is the one I specifically think of. Which I don't know if it's specifically about Vietnam in any way, but it has just such a strong association with that era that it almost becomes by association. And then another one, Buffalo Springfield, for what it's worth. That one's a pretty famous one. Yeah, yeah, definitely essential tunes. And then it's funny enough, I don't remember there being a lot of uh, countercultural music around the more recent military interventions, particularly the uh, war in Iraq and Afghanistan. I think uh, by that point, uh, I think the music uh, had changed. It had, art, it had become a lot more. I mean, the, the, the culture and the context around music had changed a bit. But I think, you know, there still existed some uh, countercultural music that. Uh, even if it was probably not regarded as critically successful as the music that you had mentioned, it's definitely... I think when I was a kid, I listened to the shit out of uh, Green Day's Bullet in a Bible, which was oh, really yeah. critical of George W. Bush and the, the Bush administration and stuff like that. And uh, I think probably a lot of people who had grew up with that album are our age now, and so probably hold it in high regard just out of the fact that it was uh, a formative album for them. <laughs> yeah. Did you listen to Green Day, everyone? Here to um, no, I've never really listened to Green Day. I, I know, uh, I think the famous one being American Idiot. Yeah. Uh, I've not really uh, explored it any further than that. Yeah. Maybe we'll do an episode on Green Day. If I'm not mistaken, there's also a song that called Holiday, which is really good, uh, off of that same album. Uh, and it was about... Uh, the fact that uh, George W. Bush was uh, out like, golfing when uh, 9-11 happened. Or, I, I think uh. he was like, yeah, he was on his vacation when all of the, the shit went down. Or it, it was either that or that, that was when he uh, began be- to deploy his troops to Vietnam or, or to Vietnam, to uh, <laughs> Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. You didn't know about the secret deployment to Vietnam. Yeah, it, it would be embarrassing <laughs> if the war is in Afghanistan or Iraq and he deployed the troops to Vietnam. Shut the fuck up. The public doesn't know. They don't know. A couple of years ago, I saw a I went to a, a concert for of uh, Randy Bachman from the Guess Who and Bachman Turner Overdrive. And uh, it was almost more because I, I know that in recent years, Randy Bachman has been doing radio shows and stuff like that. And in the concert, he, he did more almost like story time behind the meaning of certain songs and providing context behind writing the songs and the situation in which those songs were created. And uh, some of the interesting ones, I remember he talked about writing the song American Woman and uh, him and, and the rest of the Guess Who band uh, were coming from the States back to Canada because they're a Canadian band, uh, and they had a show uh, that they were going to. While they were at the border, the border agents, border patrol people, were trying to, I guess, recruit them into the Vietnam 
forces. And uh, so when they went back to Canada, they went to, I believe they went to Kitchener where they were performing a show and they they just sort of were, they made up this random riff by accident, uh, which is uh, the chord progression of American Woman. And Burton Cummings started singing some lyrics that he was making up after that experience. The American Woman being the, the Statue of Liberty. And it's essentially, it's a song about trying not to be drafted into the Vietnam War. Oh, actually, I didn't know about that. Oh, I, I suspected that the song... Uh had a you know political subtext but i didn't what i didn't know was that the american woman referred to the statue of liberty that's interesting yeah and in, in the song no time i remember when brandy bachman was talking about that one there's a line in it no time for the killing floor and i remember uh he would say that the killing floor was what a lot of people that had returned from vietnam would refer to to the war the killing floor uh mm-hmm. so that's kind of a a very uh, grim imagery that is really speaks to the the situation. Yeah, for sure. I've also been listening uh, on and off to Gil Scott Herring. I'm not sure if it's Gil or Jill Scott Herring. I think it's Gil Scott Herring. Heron, H-E-R-O-N. And uh, so he he does a lot of uh, both you know singing and also spoken word performances. Uh, I'm not sure. Have you ever listened to Gil Scott Herring? I'm not familiar. Uh, there's uh, We Almost Lost Detroit was is a big one that he did. And also uh, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised is one of my favorites. Hmm. Uh, it, he's more of like a uh, like a radical, I would say, uh, uh, like more of a, um, a hard left political figure. Well, not political figure, but a hard left kind of artist. And he uh, was very critical. I think the song uh, We Almost Lost Detroit, uh, I'm not sure if it's a racial song or not. I don't know. I'm kind of blanking out. Obviously, revolution will not be televised. You can tell exactly where that's coming from. It's sort of about, you know, you can't just be kind of armchair uh, critic of, you know, the political status quo around you. You're you're not going to sit there and watch the revolution happen on TV. You've got to actually go out and, uh, you know, do something and, you know, be more politically active. Uh, You know, unless, of course, uh, the the bus ride downtown is too far. he says in that song that, you know, if the bus ride downtown is too far, you are free to stay home. And if you are immunocompromised during the global pandemic, protest from inside. It, it will not be televised, but it will be live streamed. Wait, did did you read that off my Twitter? No, I didn't. Uh, I made that up. Holy shit. That was actually on my Twitter. You stole it from my mind. Nope. I, no, that's not possible. I see. I it exists on my Twitter prior to this, so I yes, uh, but you copyright. stole it. No, no, no. So uh, when I register for SoCan, I will be receiving my uh, royalties, my performance royalties uh, for you performing the rev- uh, my hit single. The revolution will not be televised, but it will be live streamed uh, public on air. Yeah, uh, another <laughs> oh, with uh, SoCan. I was thinking. Um, because when I I went through the process of trying to register some of my music in there, uh-huh. and you can sort of put percentage of I guess writing credits or producing credits and things like that, like if the royalties were to be divvied up yeah. among certain creative forces behind a, a song or a, a written work. And it said if the other person isn't a member of SoCan, then obviously they can't pay them that. Because you've helped me with a couple songs, like specifically I was thinking of science fiction future where you pretty much played every instrument that I wasn't playing other than my guitar and singing. You did all the uh, extra accompaniment and producing. So if I were to register that song, I would put Aiden Clara as an associate producer or performing artist or something. Uh, but I can't because you're not a SOCAN member. Yeah. Well, see, that might be a different thing. And that might be what's called neighboring rights. If I'm technically credited as a co-writer, then yes, it, it would be through SOCAN that I'd be receiving royalties. But... Uh, actually, it might be different because, see, somebody who performs on a track, like, a, say, a session musician, is not necessarily is not necessarily given writing credits. Sometimes they're giving something called neighboring rights, which is rights that are specifically designed or a royalty system that is specifically designed for uh, artists like session, session musicians who are basically who perform on somebody else's recorded material. Right. Well, on the, the specific example, the song, my song Science Fiction Future, in that circumstance, 
you technically wrote your parts and chose instrumentation that was essentially of your choice. And one of the credits is composing credit. So it could be like a co-composing type credit. I think in the specific breakdown of percentages of diviable input, uh, I know some of the titles were author and composer and maybe a few other ones, but I'm specifically thinking that in technically in that circumstance, you could be considered a co composer in that way because you've selected instrumentation written parts for the specific instruments and stuff yeah i guess i technically would receive maybe a partial see this is the thing is that if it were actually coming down to who would receive what like in this instance we would actually have like a contract signed up or a contract done but because this was a high, highly informal thing like we obviously didn't have a contract present right because yeah I mean, if it, it was a case where you had a publisher or something like that, somebody to represent you, then yeah, you would, uh, they would, or you, you would probably have like an entertainment lawyer as well who would draft up a contract, who, which would, who would say you yeah. would receive some percentage of this and, and you would also receive neighboring rights as well. Uh, it, apparently neighboring rights specifically apply to performance. Uh, uh, if it's a part that you wrote, then technically you would be cut in on writing credits as well. But I mean, this would all be part of what the, what you agree to in a contract essentially. Yeah. So in summary, if you want any piece of my royalties, I'll see you in court. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, yeah. (laughs) Better lawyer up. I just every time I pause, I just it's because uh, I regret not having a sign up for SoCam. Yeah, <laughs> you're reflecting on your uh, lack of decisiveness in your life choices. Yeah, well, uh, as I've said, and before, lack of printer. As I said before, okay, I was busy. All right, <laughs> we're all busy. Why would I make cents on the dollar when I could be making dollars or nothing? <laughs> <laughs> imagine the irony behind this if you had the money you should be earning from socan you could buy a printer possibly but then i would have to have a printer in order to have signed up for socan exactly that's where the the irony comes in that's a but that it's a paradox isn't it because like i can't sign up for a socan if i don't have a printer or without the the time to do it (laughs) yeah because i'm busy yeah do you have any uh any musical news anything like that i noticed that the weekend was also donating uh $500,000 i think to black lives matter as well wait actually was it black lives matter let's see da, 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 da. i have it here black, black I, I lives matter black lives global matter. network oh that was 200,000 oh no no so he okay so it was looks like it's 200,000 to black lives matter global network 200,000 to colin kaepernick that's the football guy uh know your rights camp legal defense initiative and 100,000. Basically, 100,000 to national bailout. Uh, basically, what I wanted to do was, uh, I think it's good that, you know, a public figure, somebody who has the eyes of people who might not otherwise know about these issues is influencing people in a positive way. Because I think that a lot of the times you have these public figures that influence people who would otherwise have no idea about these political issues in a way that is not so negative, like J.K. Rowling. Who I, whose name I say with derision and disgust. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, she got in heat recently because she was basically, uh, you know, she said some uh, anti-trans shit. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a litany of things that she said in the past. Uh, also kind of retroactively retconning her characters to appear more woke and shit like that. I mean, that's obviously the... The... But didn't you read the books? Didn't you? Didn't couldn't you tell that Dumbledore was gay the entire time? Oh, I could tell. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm open. I'm, I'm woke. I, I knew that he was gay. It was. It's there. It's in the meta text. Okay. And then she wrote a, a, a series of prequel movies about Dumbledore and his apparent romantic interest, and doesn't make him gay in the movie. Yeah. Well. But no, it's it's in the subtext of the movie. She's not gonna put it in the movie. Because, uh, well, I don't have a good excuse for her there. Yeah, I think it's probably uh, China. Because they they're, they're, they probably wanted to make the the film more. Because I mean, it's like it was a big blockbuster film, the the uh, Fantastic Beasts films, and and they knew that they were gonna be screening them in China, and they wanted to open up that that 
to that bigger audience. This is a big thing where filmmakers and studios, they don't want to be like overtly woke because if they, uh, they want to be able to screen their stuff in places like China, where the, those like issues are a lot more controversial, a lot more so than North America. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, making that the, the wokeness only canonical in whatever the Harry Potter wiki is kind of useless when it's not in the books or the movies. Yeah. It's kind of just empty words from a Twitter account of a fading author. Yeah. So J.K. Rowling has the ears of a large audience of people who read her books, right? And these people are probably not, uh, I mean, the majority of them are probably not educated on these big sociopolitical issues. And she, being extremely uninformed on a great deal of them, you know, propagates all this information and, you know, a lot of the people who follow her and respect her are going to take that at face value and uh, accept it as true. And I think that's, I mean, obviously, J.K. Rowling believes in a lot of good stuff as well. Obviously, she's not like a racist or anything like that. She's not like, a you know, Richard Spencer or like David Duke or anything like that, you know. But uh, she is a public figure who isn't an ostensibly apolitical public figure. And, and thus uh, can influence people to a lot of positions that they would otherwise not have cared about. You know, you know James Woods, the, the actor? Yeah. He's like a, a big fucking uh, Republican. And, uh, you know, he's like one of those all lives matter guys. You know, if you go mm-hmm. onto his Twitter, it's just the same shit about like, uh, we need to preserve law and order and all this shit. Like, oh, you know, I actually think that I actually like this guy. But that's another thing entirely, separating the art from the artists. Yeah. How do we get onto this topic? <laughs> well, it was it had to do with uh, uh, celebrities yeah, uh, using their Jake platform for, uh, for, for good causes, whether it's all words or if it's actual action. Like the thing that The Weeknd did is pretty cool because uh, obviously he's supporting a lot of causes that will benefit people in this uh, that are experiencing hardship during the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. And another one, uh, I sent it to you uh, over Instagram the other day. Uh, Andrew Huang of YouTube in front of the show. Big he, comrade of the show. Yeah. He put together uh, a fundraising thing. Probably by the time this episode comes out, uh, there'll only be a couple days left to partake in the purchase. But him and a bunch of other online musician people put together a, a sample pack that's essentially royalty free for people to use, but it's uh, 25 bucks to get the sample pack of, of hundreds and different audio snippets. Uh, and the proceeds go to support various charities relating to the black lives matter movement. Very based. Yeah. I, I, I haven't bought it yet because I, well, I, at first I didn't know if I was going to get it because I don't really use samples in production. Um, but it, I, I was going to buy it because it's supporting good causes. The only thing stopping me was I realized it was asking for 25 US dollars instead of Canadian dollars. So I had to, I paused in that moment. Not because it's a a conflict relating to paying US dollars, but because I thought it was, when I clicked it, I thought it was going to be Canadian dollars because Andrew Huang is Canadian based. And also I don't know if, because it's asking for American dollars, I don't know what, I have to look into what the charities are if they're more American-based charities, yeah. which is fine. But being someone that works for a local Canadian charity, I usually think that when supporting charities, it's good to see the direct impact that your money makes. So if there are similar charities that benefit your local community, I'm always in favor of supporting your local community. Yeah. But obviously, if it's specific circumstances like this and it's part of a, a, an influencer's a platform or personal supportings, it's good to support those too. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, did you want to maybe proceed to bangers and stinkers? I only had one. Yeah, I'll proceed to, I believe you've uh, misnamed the segment though, if I'm not mistaken. Is it now Joe Pass or Joe Smash? Joe Smash or Joe Pass? I believe so. Joe Pass or Joe Smash? Should we get into it? Yeah, alrighty. Well, I only had one for this particular segment. Did uh, yeah? Because I, I had noticed that this one went to number one on uh, the top one hundred, and I had been familiar with the album that this particular single was a part of. It's off of Lady Gaga's new album Chromatica, 
and it's this particular single is a collaboration between her and Ariana Grande called Rain on Me. And yeah. uh, I don't know what was what were your impressions of the song? Did you listen to it? I did listen to it. I didn't think too too much of it. I'm not overly familiar with the particulars of Lady Gaga or Ariana Grande. Uh, I know the famous Lady Gaga songs. Poker Face is one of them. Bad Romance being another one. It it didn't feel that it had the iconic power of those other ones. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a fine pop song. I listened to it. I, I couldn't really tell you much about sort of vibe it was going for. It didn't really stick with me the few times I've heard it. Like I can I can picture the big hits of Lady Gaga in my head, but I that one, I really don't know anything about it. Yeah, for me in this particular case, uh, I'm not a fan of this particular song because uh, mostly because I feel as though this song is overshadowed by a lot of other cuts off of this particular album that hmm. uh, I thought were good. And this song uh, just reminds me a lot of older stuff that Lady Gaga did. And uh, there's not a lot of like interesting or um, particularly distinct musical elements in this track that set it apart from a lot of the stuff that she had done. Actually, the, the phrase that was going through my mind was this track is very 2008. It just mm-hmm. reminds me a lot of like other Lady Gaga stuff that was from the, that era. A lot of what she had done in the past was, was dance pop. It had been um, stuff that would have been perfectly appropriate to hear in a club setting. And I think that that definitely applies to this track as well. I'm not particularly a fan of dance pop, but I mean, I will definitely give it uh, a good listen to. And in this particular case, I don't know. I just thought that the uh, the track didn't have anything to it that was particularly banging. There were there's or a smashing. Good, yeah. Or I mean, Joe I, smashing. Yeah, it, it kind of Joe smashes, actually. Or I actually wait. No, fuck. I'm, this is gonna take a while for me to get used to. I, I'm, I'm Joe Pass on this one because yeah. uh, uh, unfortunately, because but there are some Joe smashing tracks on the album. Yeah, there was one that she did, and I I kind of wanted to talk about this now that I kind of have the opportunity. There was a song that she had done uh, collaborating with a, a K-pop group called Blackpink, which is an all-female uh, K-pop group, and the song was a lot better. I mean, still not something that I would listen to on a day-to-day basis, but definitely just a fantastic bass line. Definitely, uh, you know, a very kind of house-type uh, track. In fact, I think uh, Blackpink actually does a better performance on the track than Lady Gaga does. I will say that it's good to see Lady Gaga achieve a you know top 100 single again, especially considering that she had kind of reached her commercial peak back in like 2008 2009 but you know i haven't really listened to the album properly just because i'm not i don't really listen to pop albums that much i just usually pick off a few singles and then listen to it and then if the the singles uh, give me the impression that the rest of the album is worth listening to then i'll listen to it from the beginning kind of a shame that this was the track that achieved number one and that the other kind of cuts on this album were just kind of pushed to the side i'm guessing it was probably number one because that uh if i'm not mistaken that video very recently came out yeah and that probably pushed it up there i don't know i assume probably some other videos from that album came out but probably the the collaboration of gaga and Ariana Grande with the video kind of brought it into a more more of a spotlight than other tracks on the album. Yeah, a lot of critics I and I think have favored Ariana Grande's recent output, and for me, I I haven't really jived with it that much. Maybe she will continue to, and maybe this is just only because I've I haven't really explored her recent discography very much, but. Uh, it just uh, sounds very kind of run-of-the-mill stuff that I would kind of Joe Pass on. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, but I like Lady Gaga. I think she's a terrific vocalist. Yeah. Uh, I thought that the stuff that she did on uh, the A Star Is Born soundtrack for the, the recent remake was uh, particularly good. I have not seen the film or heard the music, but I've heard good things from good. you. Good, good stuff. Uh, I, I actually, I stand the movie. It was not a perfect film. Obviously, the... It's. I mean, it's a remake, so it's a. It's a. There was one that uh, I think it was Judy Garland was in. I think there have been several different versions of A Star Is Born. Yeah. You know, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I would give it maybe like an eight out of ten, uh, and it would be like a. Light well, if Joe you smash. stand something, that I would think that that's higher than eight out of ten. I stand it as in I think that it's a lot better than people give it credit for. 
Although I will say I'm referring more to music nerds and not the audience at large because the audience at large liked it. So, so you're saying the movie is eight out of ten. What about the soundtrack itself? Is that also an eight out of ten? Yeah, because I think the 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 music is one of the things that really carries the film. Mm-hmm. I re- I'd recommend it. Yeah, I'll probably watch it. Yeah. So that was the only bangers and stinkers that I wanted to. So, talk so it's about. a Joe Pass from you. Unfortunately, I'm gonna have to Joe Pass in this one. R.I.P. But I shouldn't Joe pass the album. I should give the album a shot. I don't know. I'm not really. I don't really know if you'd be into it, just because it's. Uh, I mean, it's more of like a, uh, you know, electronic dance album. I'm not. And I'm not sure if that's the kind of shit that you jive with. I yeah. keep saying jive. Does does that does that word have a native context? Like, that's one jive ass motherfucker. I don't know. It's like a jazz cat term, right? Like when you're all shot up on heroin, you're like, oh, this guy's. One jive. I I've googled it. Is jive a bad word? Definition of jive to say foolish, deceptive, or unserious things to someone he's driving you. <laughs> that that word has to have a comeback. Uh, unless it is something bad. No, it's like I I want to say oh, you one jive ass motherfucker, but not like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just say uh, uh, this is a uh, pretty jive. Yeah, it it, it, uh, it jives. It's a great time to be alive unless you jive. No, nothing? I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give it some thought. I won't won't immediately incorporate it into my vocabulary, but uh, I'll I'll sit on it. You'll sit on it. All right. Fair enough. I like jazz. Jazz? Jive. Did you have any other news or anything or any other songs that you've heard that you would like to talk about any albums that you listen to that you uh think absolutely joseph smash yeah i actually i mean i wanted to recap our past experience doing the album recommendation and reviews and then maybe do like a quick album recommendation and review again Mm -hmm. uh so i actually did listen to paul mccartney's ram i was i was uh presently surprised by it well 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 (laughs) After all this time. Yeah, yeah. So I had actually started listening to it on Friday, and then I'd, I'd finished uh, listening to it. I I went back and listened to the whole thing from beginning to end today. I actually was not... Uh, I'm, I'm not really, like, a, a Beatles fan. I respect the Beatles and their place in the music pantheon. I'm not really actively listening to, you know, Beatles music on a daily basis. But going back and listening to this particular album, I thought it was you know, really interesting. The degree that uh, Paul McCartney kind of uh, arranges these particular tunes. And mm-hmm. uh, what I found out, interestingly enough, I think you alluded to this, uh, was that the album was actually not critically acclaimed in its time. It was actually yeah. kind of kind of panned. But yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. So I'm just trying to remember offhand uh, the songs that I really dig. The uh, Admiral Halsey song. I really liked. Yeah. Uh, that was an interesting song that kind of had multiple movements to it because I think it's mm-hmm. like something slash Admiral Halsey. Uh, uh, Uncle Albert. Yeah. Uncle Albert slash Admiral Halsey. Uh, and that song kind of had multiple movements to it and changes. Yeah. And uh, that's something that I, I really like was that there's a use of uh, uh, space and effects in this particular album that I like. Mm-hmm. Um uh, this, the other song, the, the one that kind of reoccurs, the one that has a reprise is Ram On, right? Is it Ram yeah. On? Yeah. Yep. Uh, I like that one as well. Uh, and uh, both the, the track itself and also the reprise towards the end of the album was really cool. Mm-hmm. And then um, the last song on the album, oh, fuck, I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but it, it was such a good finish to the album. Oh, the, the backseat of my car? Yeah, that was a great finish to that album. Yeah. Long-Haired Lady, that's the one that Linda McCartney sang quite a bit on. Uh, yeah, I, I really like because uh, it's, it's weird because it's like Paul McCartney is taking the higher harmony of that while she has the lower harmony at certain parts. Uh, I can't even imitate it because my vo- vocals won't reach the, the height, but he's kind of going, well, 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 well. And, yeah, then, yeah. Uh, and then she's like, do you love me like you know you are to do? Yeah, yeah. I thought that her additions to the album, I, I could definitely hear her additions to the album. And I thought, like, oh, that's interesting that she was on there. I mean, she's not like a particularly great singer, but. Uh, yeah, th- this is, uh, she was definitely not a musician before meeting Paul McCartney. And yeah. this was her first real musical 
creation of any sort. So for technically a debut performance, she does all right. And she certainly gets better as they, they continue working together and obviously as uh, as they create wings together. Yeah, um, that's another thing is that I, I also realized that I haven't really listened to uh, any any uh, albums by wings, just like singles off of it. And I I meant to, I actually had meant to listen to the album Band on the Run. Uh, have you listened to that one? That, uh, until I listened to Ram, that was my favorite Paul McCartney album. I would still make an argument for it as the best work of his entire career. Oh, okay. Even more so than Ram? It's hard to say because I've listened to Ram like a hundred times. And I've probably listened to Band on the Run a comparable amount of times, but over a longer period of time. Okay, I'll definitely check it out. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'll probably listen to this album again because I dig it. Um, just from listening to listening to it once is not enough for me to like get a good remember. Obviously, I'm not remembering all the tracks. There was like a 12-bar blues song called Three Legs, almost. Yeah, yeah. And, and at first listening to it, I'm not a huge fan of like 12-bar blues. But what mm-hmm. I like about it is that he kind of switches up the, the tempo at like halfway through. It's like, yeah, that, yeah. That I love when it when it sort of picks up the pace a bit uh, and the riff even changes up a bit. It's uh, That's a pretty cool transition. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the reasons why uh, I'm, I'm not a fan personally of uh, blues rock type stuff, but um, but in this particular instance, I thought like, oh, like even so, like, uh, and also it's just one particular song off the album doesn't really change my perspective on the whole thing. Yeah. So all in all, I actually, I dig it. And uh, thanks for the recommendation. You're very welcome. And I also listened to Cole's Corner many times, probably. I probably listened to it about four or five times at this point. Oh, really? Yeah, because I was working at the garden on the day I was listening to it. So I listened to it on the bus ride there, and then I listened to it while I was working and stuff, and then the bus ride back. And the song The Ocean is probably, I would say it's definitely the best song on the album for me. And it's probably a new personal favorite song. I've probably listened to that song a handful more times than the full album now. I really like the arrangements with the string accompaniment for these singer songwritery songs mm-hmm. I, I liked the comparison that you had made to the songs i think one of them you said it almost sounded like it could have been if if you had heard it had been written by johnny cash you would have believed it yeah waiting through I, the waters i, I, I can definitely time. feel like that kind of vibe behind some of his music that very older bluesy not well, not really bluesy, but more earlier rock type sounds. But it's it does sound very, it's a very more modern sound compared to rock music. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I like about that album is the use of space. I'd find that uh, the um, even the songs that are kind of uh, that would ostensibly just be him and his uh, his acoustic guitar. Uh, actually feature a lot of added instrumentation like waiting through the waters of my time has that kind of slide guitar uh, melody played uh, with it as well and um, even songs like hotel room that uh, that I had mentioned last time was uh, very much a stylistically a doo-wop song uh, has that uh, very kind of uh, reverby guitar melody as well which kind of puts it in a more modern setting so yeah, I mean, obviously it's a very like backward looking, but uh, the production and the uh, aesthetic of the album is very modern. Mm-hmm. Did you want to like? Did you have an album that you wanted to recommend for this particular segment? Uh, I do have an album. I'm not sure if you've heard it before. I wasn't sure if I should run any albums by you beforehand to make sure I'm not recommending something that you're aware of, but. I do think that even if you are aware of an album, it's still worth having discussions about sure. certain albums. Um, so this album, it, it sort of falls into my my pattern of the, the search for Supreme Chaos. And I probably have recommended this album to you, and you may be familiar with it. The album is called Afro by Dizzy Gillespie. Oh. Uh, no, I haven't listened to that one. Okay, cool. Uh, so this album... I think I just found it a couple years ago, maybe last year on Spotify. And it's a very, it's sort of like a bebop type album, I would call it. Dizzy Gillespie, I wasn't super familiar with his music before this album. And even the songs I was more familiar with, this doesn't really remind me of those songs. Because I know him as the, you know, the trumpet player. Yeah. Salt Peanuts. Yeah, Salt Peanuts, exactly. Like, that's what I think of. That's the song I think of, I associate with him. 
and I'm sure that the the trumpet playing is a highlight of this album, but it's not. When I think of this album, that's not what I think of. I don't even think of Dizzy Gillespie, the trumpet player, when I think of this album. It's more the arrangement and intensity behind it. So, like I mentioned, like I I put it in my on my scale of Supreme Chaos, where it definitely has those intense moments to it, and some of it's very well paced in building up to some of those intense moments. So it's a very, it's got a lot of energy as a bebop sort of album. Most of the songs, I believe, are written by Dizzy Gillespie and musicians working with him. Uh, I think one of the exceptions being the song Caravan, which I'm not, I, I don't know if it's just a more of a jazz standard that somebody wrote. Caravan? Um, yeah, I know that the Caravan was a song featured in the movie Whiplash. Yeah, I'm, um, I think that the Caravan and Whiplash is different, though. It's not the jazz standard. I'm, I, although I might be wrong about that. I'm I, sure. I I feel like I it might be the same song, like I, it, it just a very different arrangement. I feel like I, I, I recognized elements of the melody okay. uh, in this tune. I just pulled it up on Wikipedia. It looks like it's a song written by Duke Ellington, yeah. Irving Mills, and... Juan Teisel. So I, I assume that it being a Duke Ellington associated song, it's probably the the same sort of jazz standard. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, Duke Ellington, Charles Mingus, and uh, fuck, who was it? Uh, Justin Bieber. Jimmy Cobb. <laughs> no. Uh, no, no, no. It was, um, there was an album that uh, it was by uh, Duke Ellington. It was a collaborative work between Duke Ellington, uh, Charles Mingus, and I, I'm not Jimmy Cobb, but it was a jazz drummer. Uh, it was called Money Tree or something like that album. Hmm. Money Jungle. I know that it was Duke Ellington was on it. Oh, Max Roach on the drums as well. So it's, uh, yeah, Duke, uh, Duke Ellington, Charles Mingus, Max Roach. I think they do a, a rendition of Caravan. Uh, yeah, it's okay. track number six. So, yeah, actually, um, speaking of uh, al- like your search for the chaos... Mm-hmm. Uh, I seek the chaos. Album. Yeah, I. That's another album where you might uh, that that you might dig. I will definitely listen to that one. Yeah. The summary of my recommendation is: I recommend it. It's a very good album. It's definitely, uh, in terms of jazz albums, it's one of my more favorite ones and more favorite of recent discoveries. It's got the chaos factor that I look for in a chaotic album, and the songs are really cool, interesting, a lot going on, and. Uh, good to listen to uh, many times. Excellent. I, I'll definitely check that one out. Uh, the one that I want to recommend in this particular case is what I call uh, YouTube Algorithm Core. It, it's the kind of shit that comes up when uh, you're just kind of idly on YouTube and suddenly in the recommended section of the right-hand side search bar, a full album comes up by uh, an artist that you might have hitherto be unaware of and in this case i'm recommending the album night lights by jerry mulligan this one uh i had been listening have been listening to for quite a while on just on youtube actually um, because i had put it in one of my playlists and then i recently actually bought the album off of google music uh, google play rather unfortunately this is not a very chaotic album it's uh part of the more of the cool jazz movement in fact, the song Night Lights, which I think was actually written by Mulligan, who is a saxophonist, is a very kind of quiet tune. What's interesting about this album is that in the in addition to a lot of uh, jazz standards, like In the Wee Small Hours of the Morning and Tell Me When, they actually do a really cool rendition of Chopin's Prelude in E minor, and they make it into a bossa nova kind of rhythm. It's just like a really cool arrangement of that tune, and the way that they take the melody of Prelude in E minor, which is one of Chopin's simpler tunes, uh, and uh, kind of map those uh, chords onto a, into a jazzy context, just like really, uh, really good. And uh, so the album, definitely more of a laid back uh, kind of album. It's just something that you would listen to if you're just kind of, uh, you know, you come back from a long day and you're, uh, you know, just like uh, loosen your collar and you pour yourself glass of uh chardonnay (laughs) or water uh and um 
Yeah, and you're just kind of like looking out at the night lights and you're just like contemplating uh, your existence and why you have not signed up for SOCAN and all that other stuff in the world. And you wonder, where is your printer? <laughs> Where's my printer, Putin? <laughs> I, I will We're definitely gonna get an check HP out HP sponsorship up in here so that I can uh, print off my SOCAN form. Yeah. Where's Ask Your Mom? Me, mom. So yours was called Afro by Dizzy Gillespie, correct? Yes. And yours was called Night Lights by Jerry Mulligan. Yes, that's correct. I'll definitely check out that album. Uh, even though I'm a fan of the chaos, uh, I live for the chaos. Uh, I also uh, live for the cool, the coolness of jazz. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's, uh, I mean, it's not even of the of the level of energy of say a kind of blue or a uh, uh, take five type of record, but Mm -hmm. it's um, it's more, um, you know, almost the, the, the kind of stuff you would associate of being set to a neo noir film or something like that. Like, like um, the bridge (laughs) Two. the bridge too far. Yeah. Which so, I thought was a brilliant title, and uh, <laughs> the funny thing was that uh, I, I actually had not noticed that it was a bridge too far until you had, yeah. you had put it into that note, and then I was like, okay, that's brilliant. I'm sold right there. I mean, I don't even know what the movie is going to be about now, but we're going to make it. So last night, I was uh, thinking about the bridge, which you can easily find at spinthispodcast.com slash bridge, <laughs> and I was, uh, I was struck with inspiration for the, the, the premise of a sequel, spiritual successor, reboot, whatever you want to call it, a continuation of the bridge saga. And uh, I look forward to the release of that film, Beamish. Yeah. And you know what? I think that this film is probably going to be the um, the Citizen Kane of, of our time, you know, because... Well, I, w- I, I disagree with you. Uh, I will think of it more as the star wars of force awakens of our time because it's essentially the same thing as the original but redone with a higher budget and more special effects yeah <laughs> see i was originally apprehensive because uh you know i'm not sure if anything can quite uh capture the lightning in a bottle energy of the bridge would we uh, get the old cast back would we bring uh uh cameras and uh, uh i don't know aaron and uh i don't know what else to call him uh and uh, uh masano of joe joe keith mason and uh who else was in that film there was a i know his name is kyle uh he was the trench coat guy if you haven't seen the film yet you have no excuse go to spin this podcast.com slash bridge and you will find the film yeah. In my version of it, in the sequel, we would have Beamish reprise his role as Thomas Grace. We would have Aaron in more of a cameo role uh, as we see the final moments of Rob Alex West. And then we would have, we could probably have some of the, the hunters, the, the, the men in suit characters, and then new characters played by yourself and myself. Yeah. I don't and cameras. He died in the first one, so I. I, I and oh yeah, he also doesn't. Died. He doesn't. He he's shot. not local anymore. Wait, or does he though? <laughs> well, he's he's not local, so oh, we can't really get him. Yeah. Well, this thing has to happen. Yeah. Well, I'll we'll, throw we'll draft up. A, we'll draft up the script. We could. We should probably <laughs> ask Mason to direct it. You know what I'll do? I'll throw all the money that I make off of SoCan into this project. <laughs> So as of right now, nothing. <laughs> as of right now, but you never know. Yeah. And then you'll also write the musical score for it. You better uh, will. With me contributing I to will, some extent. I will write the the best possible music score that is appropriate for the bridge to a bridge too far. Yeah. <laughs> I love that title. Yeah. And not to spoil the film, but the title plays into the plot of a bridge too far. Yeah. Uh, should we move on to the SoundCloud recommendation portion of the podcast? Yeah, we're actually making good time here. We'll actually uh, have our podcast cut down to just about an hour if we continue this. Exciting. And, yeah. Should I go first with my recommendation? 
Go for it. So this is an account that I discovered this morning. As I was listening to SoundCloud, I, I started using the SoundCloud app on my phone for listening to mu SoundCloud music. I think that SoundCloud, the app, is better for listening to the stuff that I follow. And this appeared in there because I think uh, a track was reposted by somebody that I follow. The SoundCloud user is Guillaume de Coin, uh, a French fellow. Uh, I'll spell that out for you. G U I. L-L-A-U-M-E-L-E-C-O-I-N-T-E. -E -E. We'll include a link to this. But it's soundcloud.com slash Guillaume Lecoin. I'm specifically recommending this guy mo mostly to you, Aiden. Okay. Because I think you would appreciate this guy's content and work ethic. Oh, okay. He posted two tracks today. One of the tracks is nine and a half minutes long. The other one is 12 minutes long. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> His most recent track is called Song 1561, and the, the one before that was Song 1560. And he's got 22 tracks on SoundCloud. I imagine because a lot of his tracks are like 10 minutes long, and he's got over a thousand of them, <laughs> uh, and he has the basic SoundCloud plan. So rolling back through his, uh, his uploads, you can see that he pretty much continuously is uploading at least two songs a day, probably an average of at least 15 minutes of content per day. And then going back, you see a few random ones where they're not consistent because he had to delete older ones. Mm. But he also has a, a, a Bandcamp account attached to it where I think he has all of his, uh, his uploads on there. So this guy does classical guitar. Pretty much most of his tracks are him playing sort of a, a, a backing chord progression or composition with him sort of doing a, a classical guitar soloing over top. So I think you would appreciate it for that reason, oh, shit. as well as his prolific reputation of uploading a, an obscene amount of tracks over short amounts of time. Yeah. So everything that you just said makes me want to like just dive right into this guy's discography. Uh, yeah. And in fact, I actually just pulled up the link because I, w I got back to my notes and uh, yeah, because I'm not sure if I've alluded to it in the past, but uh, classical guitar is my gig uh, and uh, yeah. I fuck with anything classical guitar related and especially artists who are particularly prolific. That is the kind of thing that I just kind of like immediately... Uh, I mean, I, I don't want, like, any artists, regardless of their quality, like, I'll listen to him, give him the time of day. I like artists who are just committed to the grind of mm -hmm. uh, of creating as much content as, as possible during their lifetime. So, uh, and then, in fact, that's kind of one of the things that inspires me to create content is people who just, you know, unabashedly uh, create as much artwork as they possibly can in their lifetime. Like, yeah. Uh, did you know that um, Vincent Van Gogh created like 900 paintings? When, like between when he started and then when he died, that was like a a 10 year period because he died when he was like 37 or something like that. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah, but he was like really prolific, and he started painting when he was like just about older than us, which is kind of reassuring. It's he not too late to become be a famous painter. It could be you. You could uh, uh, be a psychotic, ear-cutting, you know, painter guy who becomes uh, posthumously successful. You never know. Yeah, that's what you want too. You want to become posthumously successful, and you never yeah, know. Yeah, not while you're alive. That's that's worthless. Yeah, right. Then everybody forgets about you. But if you become posthumously successful. Then people are like, oh, you know. In 60 years, I'm going to be a rich man. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, 61 years. Actually, it's funny. If you look at so many great composers, they all died and they were like poor and alone and afraid. Actually, I mean, it kind of sucks to die like that. Yeah. I mean, you live like that. Poor, alone, and afraid? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm definitely poor alone. I'm not I'm not like I'm not really don't really have anything to be afraid of. But then again, I'm not like on the cusp of death. So, yeah, got you there. Uh, so of this Guillaume Lecoin, <laughs> <laughs> going back, <laughs> yeah. If I had to recommend of the few songs I heard, I don't think I listened to any. Uh, I maybe listened to one of them all the way through, but they're they're quite uh, lengthy tracks. If I'd recommend of the ones I listened to song 1557 it's a six and a half minute one 
Uh, I really dig the vibe of that one, uh, if you had to listen to one to start with. But uh, listen while they're there, or else then you'll have to go to Bandcamp to find them. Awesome. Well, uh, I, I actually wanted to recommend an artist that I've been listening to for quite a while. In fact, I had, a, I had previously been meaning to recommend this particular artist on past uh, occasions, but uh, for whatever reason, I, I either forgot or didn't have the name on hand and, uh, and thus did not recommend it in the past. Uh, I wanted to recommend an artist called Cumulo Stratus. It's, uh, he's kind of like an indie rock uh, kind of instrumental writer. And, um, and he, uh, he or she, I'm not entirely sure, uh, th- they uh, have published, it looks like 13 tracks on SoundCloud over the course of three years. They're pretty, pretty well received. Uh, I have actually reposted several of their uh, works. A lot of their more more recent stuff is uh, a lot more electronic, but they ha- uh, the the tracks that I in particular have reposted. One of them is called "Who I Am." Uh, and it's a, a very kind of warm, hazy is a word that comes up, uh, kind of indie rock composition, and uh, yeah, uh, it doesn't. You have- could say it's a beautiful song. Yeah, absolutely. Because I say that because I'm on the SoundCloud page and I can see that's the comment you made on that song. Yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> you uh, stand by that statement. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it if I had not written that com- uh, comment now, I would have said something uh, much more esoteric like, oh, I would uh, Joe smash this one. Mm-hmm. And then nobody would understand. Everybody would be confused. But yeah, Cumulo Stratus, I recommend their, their work. Uh, they they uh, are... a I'm not sure how you know prolific they are, but they put out work kind of a little more scantily, uh, mm-hmm. or on a less frequent basis. When they do put out content, it is uh, of a particularly high quality and um, definitely musically interesting and uh, something worthy of being listened to uh, on a repeated uh, basis. Good for repeated oh. listening, I would say. I'll definitely check them out. Check yeah. them out. I followed. Uh the account so i'll definitely check it out afterwards yeah i don't know why i just decided to use gender neutral pronouns because we woke yeah you don't want to assume because their, their profile picture appears to be a, a collection of branches with possibly some berries or flowers on it or something uh do you have anything else no that's pretty much it i think next time we should do the cover songs episode oh yeah that's a good idea because actually, that one takes a little more prep work. Yeah. Oh, you mean like when we cover each of our tracks? I think, yeah, we should talk about cover songs in general. And then as part of the discussion, we each cover one of each other's tracks and then present snippets of the original and the covers in the show. Yeah. Uh, do, do, like, So do you want to have that prepared for next segment? Or do you I think like we should. It? Yeah, we should prepare it for when we record next Sunday. I don't think either of us should hear what each other has until we're recording. I think okay. that sh- it, the reveal should be in the show. Okay. okay. I've already I'm started working on uh, a cover of one of your songs, and we'll see how it goes. It means I'm going to have to actually work on my singing. Uh, it's been ages it since I uh, sang on a recording. I look forward to it. Alrighty. Thank you for listening to us this week on the Spin This Podcast, a podcast where Sam Dow and Aiden Claire talk about the music and the music world and the music industry and everything that's spinning around in the musical realm. I've been Sam Dow. And I'm Aiden Claire. And we you you will spin in the next episode. Oh yeah.